Hey everyone, I'm really excited to put this episode out with Shira Fruchter. We talk about IFS, which is internal family system. It's a modality of therapy. I heard about it a few years ago. You'll hear me talking about it on the podcast, how I came to hear about it, but um, it has been something transformative in my own life. And um, it was amazing to find somebody giving a course on it, a very um, a very easy to understand course. It was a four-week course she was actually recruiting for upcoming courses so you'll hear her and you'll love her and if you want to take the course you can reach out to her directly I put all of her information in the show notes and we I really feel like we delve into the topic of like how using food can help you and learning to welcome that that's one of the most beautiful parts of IFS is that it welcomes all behaviors and all emotions instead of trying to like um stuff it down or um, you know, shame it. So I really found, I find that IFS can be a really powerful tool. Um, and I think Shira does a really, really great job of explaining it. And we also try to do like a very short, brief demo of her using the model on me. We talked about it before we recorded that maybe we would talk about like body image stuff, but I felt like you'll hear me say this, but I felt like that was too personal. I didn't want to go there in the podcast. So I used a different example uh, and I thought it was great and I've been thinking about it all day. So I hope you'll enjoy it and I hope that it will actually be, you know, I love to talk about self-care and coming up with a self-care plan before Yantif and Pesach is coming up. So it was one of those things that I was happy to really put out before Pesach because it's something that maybe you could even utilize over the course of Pesach or Pesach prep. Okay, without further ado, enjoy. Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, and today I have Shira Fruchter. Hi, Shira. How are you? Hi. Good. You Thank you. Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure. Thanks for coming on. Could you um, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Where do you live and what do you do? Okay. I'm Shira Fruchter. Um, I live in Ramada Shkol in Jerusalem, in Israel, and um, I'm a therapist in private practice. Um, and I am basically an IFS, internal family systems therapist, a purist, um, mm-hmm. and I run a private practice and I run groups, IFS groups. A purist meaning that's like the only therapy that you do? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I was just in your group and it was amazing. So I was so happy that you agreed to come on. And um, I guess where I would want to start is like, did you always know that you wanted to be a therapist and did you always know you wanted to do IFS? How did that happen? Okay, great. Um, so yeah, it's great having you in the group. And um, I, um, 
yeah, so I think I always wanted to be a therapist. Like since I was young, I just love people and I'm like a real people person and connector. And I guess I kind of always knew that I would, you know, become a therapist. And then about, I would say about a decade into my practice, I wanted something a little bit more um, of a map of how to practice in the office. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was all over the place and I didn't really know exactly where I was going. And I wanted to have like one model to really kind of, you know, dig my hands in. And I just looked around to see what was out there. And someone recommended IFS. Wow. I had no idea what it was. It was mm-hmm. close to a decade ago. Wow. And I was sold. Wow. And I've said there's three levels of training. And mm-hmm. the third one is given by Dick Schwartz, who's the founder of IFS. So that was like a real privilege wow. to have him. And, um, and it's such an amazing model that I began to teach it to lay people and to non-professionals because it really like just changed my life on such a personal level. So I figured, why can't everyone benefit from it? Wow. So yeah. you, when you say you always knew you wanted to be a therapist, like you're a natural connector, uh, like were, would, were, would people tell you that? Like when you would try to like help them with their problems or like, are you the oldest in your family? Like, how did that come to be? No, so my parents got divorced when I was 12 mm-hmm. and I'm sure like that you know definitely impacted I was you were in therapy as a, I was yes. no so mm-hmm. at 12 no I um I was actually like it was, I was one of the only people in my circle where my parents divorced because I was in like a more of a base of school at that time mm-hmm. and I went you know more the modern route but I don't know I feel like I just must have been exposed to the world of therapy my parents did try to get me into therapy at 12 but I was a tough adolescent and I was not going to therapy. Oh, so you, you resisted. <laughs> Ironically, it. I was yeah. very resistant. I'm the resistant client. Yes. Interesting. Um, so that's why I don't work with adolescents. Really? Yeah. Only 18 and up. Because, <laughs> yeah. because you were, because you resisted therapy. I was so resistant. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Very. <laughs> Is that like something that you explored like as an adult, like why you were so resistant? Totally. Oh, um, I think it wasn't the right time for me. Right. And I've actually really since um, in my practice, like I really only take in people that want to do the work. Right. right. Like that's one of the, yeah. Like I, and so many people are forced to come or encouraged to come, especially here when girls are here for the year and teachers are like, you need therapy or you should go for therapy. And they come in and they have no idea why they're there. Right. And there's so much resistance. And I always say like the most experienced therapists cannot do magic on a resistant, you know, right. client that has no will. So um, I think timing, so much is timing. Right. Um, so much is the connection in the room. Like I didn't connect to anyone my parents sent me to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I felt like it was very forced and with very anti-authority parts didn't go. <laughs> right. Right. I, I get that. I get that. Sorry if there's like, do you hear like a background noise? I don't know. Okay. Um, so when you went to college to get a degree, it was like obvious for you, like I'm going to be a therapist. Actually, no, I was always between becoming a therapist or become a lawyer, mm, ironically. Interesting. Um, yeah, because I, I also love like litigation. Okay, that's, that's the anti-authority. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I was, for a little bit, I was going to do both. Like in NYU, they have like these joint programs where you could do like pick two degrees and put them together. So my dream was to do social work and the law. Wow. But I ended up getting married and moving to Israel. So I right. did the law program. Right. So that, oh. yeah, that switched your plan. Took my husband over the law. Got it. Got it. Well, <laughs> I could see you being a good lawyer. That sounds really cool. Yeah. I always, I still dream of it. Right. That's so interesting. That's super interesting. Not happening. Yeah. So 
Um, so IFS, so, so 10 years into your practice, you realize, I'm actually just relating to this a lot because I'm three or four years into my private practice. And what I talk about with my own like supervisors and business coaches is always like, do I need more structure in my, you know, in the, in the 45 minutes to an hour with the client or like, do I have to just like go with it? Obviously there is a structure because I, I go like the intuitive eating model, but you know, even like any model, there's like, some people are more structured, less structured. So So I guess, totally. that's not, is that not something that you like learn in school or like, it's just one of those yeah. things you have to figure out? I feel like there's really different approaches. Like for some people, they're just happy to, you know, like, and this is big, like the relationship in the room and containing the pain and right. validation, empathy. Right. Um, and that's, that is very big. Right. But for me and for my parts and for my system, I felt like I, I felt more contained in the room when I had some vision of what we're doing, where we're going, the map. Mm-hmm. Not with an agenda, like obviously wherever the client's at, that's where we meet them. Right. But you know what? I feel like it's so each person, it's for each person personally. Mm-hmm. And like what worked for me, what, work, what would work for me would work for them. And it's like my style. I, I don't see it as a right or wrong. I right. very much feel like it's what works for me and my style. Yeah. It's just but when you were, some kind of goal. When you were looking into uh, modalities of therapy, you weren't looking into modalities of therapy for you personally. It was more like direction in your practice. Yeah, it was definitely more of like, I, I feel like ethically, like I want to have like more of an understanding of where, when a client maps out their goals, how am I getting there? Mm-hmm. How am I reaching the goal? How can I define therapy? Like therapy is so undefinable. Yeah. How can I make this real? How can I operationalize change? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, totally. um, and I, that's what I need. And now that I have a system, I could, I could really define it for people. Right. Uh, I think that's what Dick Schwartz did. And that's really what he led the world is he took right. so many concepts that it really already exist, right. but he put them in such a definable, clear methodology that I'm a big like clarity person and kind of goal oriented. I have a very fast paced, so which I've tried to slow down, but it just works for me. So yeah. when you, when you were looking into different modalities of therapy, it, once you learned about IFS, you were like, oh my gosh, like this, like it was just very clear to you. Was between CBT, ironically, and IFS, and mm-hmm. they actually do have. Um, there is some overlap because it's, IFS has a lot of logic to it, right? And it's a real system. Um, and after IFS, I was well, I was sold, so I did IFS Part One, IFS Level Two, IFS Level Three. Now I work for the IFS International. Oh wow! And I've since, um, yeah, I'm a trainer on the train international trainings. Cool. Um, yeah. So I yeah, people do a lot IFS in conjunction with somatic. Mm-hmm. Work people do IFS in conjunction with EMDR, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, it's, I'm not pulled to it. So I figured I'd rather, and I learn new things about IFS every day. Right. Right. So there's so much to learn. So right. I'm just happy to stay with IFS. Yeah. It works for me. <laughs> so could you tell us, I mean, I know what it is, but for the listeners, and I actually have this book here right in front of me, which I was telling a client yesterday, this self-therapy book um, yes. by Jay Early. Um can you yeah. just tell the listeners, like, I guess, you know, in a few minutes, what sure. IFS is? Sure. Okay. So IFS in a few minutes, the abridged version, the cliff notes, mm-hmm. how would I define it? So the way I think of it is, or the way it, you know, it's structured is there's three main groups. There's the protectors, the firefighters, and the exiles. And in the protector system, there's the managers and the firefighters, which are two protector roles, which protects you from what they call the exiles. And 
the goal ultimately is get to the center, which is called self. Now, the way it works is most people in the world are walking around trying to protect themselves from pain they don't want to feel. Mm -hmm. So we live in parts that really just keep us very safe. We don't want to feel vulnerable. We don't want to feel shame. We don't want to feel abandoned or rejected. Everybody just wakes up in the morning and just wants to feel good. Right. And we work, what we do is we have these parts that take us over in order to keep us feeling good. Those are the managers. And that's just how you manage your life. Like it's really your personality. The IFS in general is really a model of personality. And these managers and these protectors are here so that we should not feel pain. And pain could be universal pain or it could be our specific pain. So if someone went through a trauma at a young age, every people, kids will do whatever they can to avoid feeling the pain of that trauma. And what happens is we work with these managers not to feel it, but unfortunately the world makes us feel pain. And when that happens, we go to firefighter mode, which is another way to manage the pain, but from a reactive place. So you're either in proactive pain prevention or you're in reactive pain prevention, right? But the goal is, I don't wanna feel any pain. Some people don't wanna feel pain even with themselves. And some people don't want you to feel their pain, mm -hmm. right? So maybe I could own that I have a trauma, but I don't want you to see my trauma. I know that maybe I have a sensitivity towards being rejected, but you're not gonna know it. And some examples would be like perfectionistic parts. You know, if I'm a perfectionist, you could have no complaints on me. Right. So I'm always perfect. And if you think I'm perfect, you won't reject me. So that's my way of preventing pain of rejection, for example. And there's millions and millions and millions. Mm -hmm. But the main crux of the model is to find self. And self is really like your soul, your neshama, your naturally valuable state. And you learn through IFS what it means to be in a place of self, which is as eight C words. But just in a cliff note, it's a lot mm -hmm. of curiosity, I would say, and compassion. And it's helping people to really see themselves and the world through curiosity and compassion. And when we have enough curiosity and compassion for parts, for managers, for protectors and firefighters, we could see what they're trying to protect us from. Once we stop bashing them, once we stop mm -hmm. criticizing them, once we start stop shaming them, we could see what their agenda is for us. Because all parts have a positive intention. And that's a huge premise of IFS is that everything you're doing, whatever you're doing out there, however destructive it might be, its intention is positive for you. Its intention is that you should just feel good. Just like a child that's temper tantruming, banging on the door. They're in, they have a positive intention. They're trying to get something from their parent. Maybe the way they're doing it is not getting it in the best way for them, but there is a positive intention. Same with our parts. So it's really helping people recognize that whatever way they're behaving, whatever parts they're using, extreme parts have a positive intention but through self, we can learn what they're trying to protect you from, heal it, be with it, and then act from a place of choice. And then our behaviors begin to change and shift because we recognize that some, so many of these extreme parts are just trying to prevent us from pain. But once we're adults, we could be there for the pain. Right. And we learn to feel the pain and, and trust ourselves, self. So that's a really small synopsis of what I teach in four classes. <laughs> right, right. So... I mean, I can say, I can say like a hundred things back to what you just said. I I um, read this book and listened to a lot of podcasts on it. So I am somewhat familiar yeah. with it, but for sometimes when I tell clients about it, they're like, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're talking about. So I thought it would be really cool for you to just explain that from your 
experience. Yeah. yeah. And I rarely explain it to clients. Really? I just really use, I don't explain it. I just use the word parts all the time. And I try to help breathe self. And I try to lend self because self is contagious. Mm-hmm. And I stay curious and compassionate. And I lend it to them. And in my mind's eye, I know when, when someone comes into the room and they're presenting with a very extreme part, like I, I hate this or I, you know, yeah. I'm so lazy or I'm always procrastinating. And people say it with such judgment. And yeah. I just think, of it, okay, there's a lazy part. There's a procrastination part. And how are those parts trying to help my client? Mm-hmm. So I don't need to teach it to them. I'm helping them learn from within themselves. How did you, de- how did you really develop a part that's so lazy? You know, and they can learn their system that way. It's an internal, I should say this at first, internal family system is our own internal family. And those are our parts. And learning your map, your internal map of parts. When, when, like, what, I guess the way you advertise or when people think of you, they don't think of you as an IFS. Like, do people know they're coming to you specifically for IFS? Right now they do. Like most of, many of my referrals come as IFS. Like people are looking for an IFS couples therapist or an IFS you know, individual therapist. Um, I think IFS has become really the rave. It wasn't like this a decade ago. Right now it's like everybody wants IFS. They're all over IFS and I understand it. Um, And it it does breed a certain um, population. I think it's people know what they're coming in for. People know they're going to go right to inner child. They're going to go deep. They're going to go, you know, it's kind of deep and fast. Um, So yeah, I think at this point, many clients do know they're coming in for IFS. They don't know what it means. Right. Interesting. I actually had this um, at a certain point where I was working with my own therapist who is more like a CBT talk therapy and I love her and she's amazing. And then I was also working with Sarah Hannah Radcliffe who I interviewed for the podcast to do like she did a lot of EMDR, IFS and it was like really cool. It was really different. And I think I, I personally needed both, but like just to, you know, see both of those things work in totally different ways. Totally. Yeah. Completely. And I often send people out for EMDR. Right. Like when I say there's a specific trauma or, you know, some kind of memory that needs to be dealt with in a different way. Like I'm very into getting the, pro- you know, each person should meet their problems with the best professional help. For right. some clients, somatic is the right thing because the right. trauma is really in their body. Right. I don't know if IFS is the best route for that. So right. yeah. interesting just to stay like, cause I know so many clients are like, am I ever going to heal? You know, and it's like, expl- keep exploring. There's so many things out there. Exactly. Yes. Keep exploring. You can heal. You can heal. Yeah. 100%. So I wanted to do like a real live, like IFS session on me for a few minutes. So brave, Gila. Yeah, I'm very brave. brave. But before I I do that, because I don't, I'm like a little nervous, like what I'll unpack. um, Was there, do you have any stories coming to mind of like a really cool success story with a client or something that you unpacked, you were surprised about, or maybe even food related, body image related, because that's, you know, my line of work. Yes. Good question. I should have thought about that one. Um, I should have, I, I should have prepped you. I definitely have though. I just need to think I, I, I like for sure have the food parts are so big. Yeah. Um, I definitely could say that I have a client that, um, was molested when she was a child about eight, nine years old. And when she came to me at a, you know, I would say she's about in her early twenties, she struggled a lot with obesity. Mm-hmm. And we looked at the obese part and the, you know, what she called the obese part, the overweight part, um, the fat part as a protector, right? Mm-hmm. So we begin to dialogue with that part. Okay, so, you know, how, how is that part serving you? So the knee-jerk reaction is, it's not serving me. It's terrible. I get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But 
all parts have a positive intention for the person? How old is the part? How did it help you? And she did uncover that this was her safety mechanism not to be molested again. Right. People don't want to molest that people. These are her right. beliefs. Right, right, right. She gained a lot of weight after the molestation and a lot of binge eating, a lot of binge eating as a protection. And then right. she was afraid that if she would lose weight, perhaps she was at risk and in danger. Um, so that's one. I that's a con that's a common one. There's actually a book by Roxanne Gay. Oh, did you hear that? Hear of that book? No, no. What is it called? I, I don't remember if it's called something. I'll put it in the show notes when I when I remember. But um, she had a similar story where she was, I really? think she was actually gang gang raped at a young age. And when you uncover, I mean, sometimes people uncover that. You know, I've I've heard this story many times, right? So, um, wow it's just so painful to like be in your physical body so either you know restricting numbing on hunger numbing on uh fullness right or just not wanting to be in this in a body that you think is susceptible to being touched exactly that's exactly. really interesting yeah. yeah other clients that i see like i have a client that um she was abandoned by um her mother wasn't well when she was a nursing baby well her mother her mother abandoned you know wasn't well and she she had to leave yeah it's really devastating and um she also was a major major overeater and <clears throat> she would come in every week and she would just talk about how much she hates herself for overeating she hates it she hates it and she's she's always overeating and she especially she had certain foods like peanut butter peanut butter that was her main comfort food and you know it took a long time for us to for her to unblend which means self to part, peanut butter part, self to overeating part, right? Mm -hmm. Because people naturally shame this overeating part. Oh, it's for so sure. Bad. It's, it's, it's the worst thing that ever happened to me. Right. And I effectively believe, no, it has a positive intention. Right. So when she finally be, was able to breed some self to this part and we asked it, you know, how, how are you helping my client? And I think it's probably something you see a lot. It really was like going back to that newborn baby. There's real nurturance, like right. real, real deep nurturance like giving up the overeating was like her fight for life for sure and this was her only stable predictable nurturance was this food and just how petrifying that is you know i'm getting like, I, I, I i've heard this so many times but I'm like sure. in, a, you know, in a different way but the, but the reason why it um i guess like hits me so hard is because so many people have they come into my office and they're like I'm disgusting. Like the words they use, I'm disgusting. I can't stop eating. I, uh, why, what's wrong with me? Blah, blah, right. And it's coming from a place of like, I guess for sure, like usually from their family or from so just society, like you said, like there's so much judgment around eating or overeating or emotional eating. But like when I try to explain this to them that like, you know, just as a bee, when a baby's born, a baby eats for the first time and gets so many more things than nutrition, you know? the baby gets yeah, a lot yeah. of nurturance right. and security right. right and warmth and so many things so like it's so normal to emotionally eat like it might not it might not it shouldn't be your only coping mechanism but just to like normalize that and how important totally. that is. yes and sometimes on top of it i think people don't have either have exiled or haven't learned compassionate limit setting because that's what parents do right like what's a parental voice it's like cutie it's time for bed now sweetheart Right. Like, let's turn the light off. Right. You know, it's late. It's your bedtime. And I think it's the same thing with the eating voice. Like, it's the it's not not it's not about not eating at all or that intense restriction, but that compassion of like, okay, it's enough for tonight. Right. 
you know, right. and can we find that voice? I've done that a lot with my clients. Just the voice can come to anything, screening, you know, overeating, anything over, any firefighter. It's a fire, right. these are all firefighter right. behaviors. It's like, and the way we define firefighters are is that there's a lot of regret and a lot of impulsivity to it. Interesting. And that's usually what people describe after a binge eat. Right. Um, so, so definitely, definitely. Yeah. Like going back and rewiring the brain and going back to a young, the young age, right. you know, and seeing it as a young part. But I think the hardest part of the work is helping a person not criticize the part. Right. That could take so long to be able to put this part out, interview it from such a natural stance. And I always say, if someone came to you and said, I binged last night, you wouldn't be like, you're still a loser. Right. Yeah. Fat pig. Right. But we talk the way to ourselves all the time. So it's an, it's an, it's really an unbelievable thing. Like, yeah. can we talk to ourselves with kindness, kind eyes? That could take months, but I yes. believe that change can happen without that. Right. Right. That's why intuitive eating is a lot about getting curious and self-compassion and all those, you know, those things are things I had learned also with my own therapist. And it's like, just totally. there's like, we think that being harsh with ourselves and screaming at ourselves will work. And it just like never does. It never does. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then we always ask that harsh part of what do you think would happen if you step aside? How are you serving me to be harsh? Right. You know, getting in touch with that voice. Sometimes it's a voice we adopted. Sometimes it's not even ours. So I'm just the way we marinated in our life. Just so much harsh criticism. Right. Sometimes we took it from, you know, an outside source. A lot of right. times just the parental role, kids, you know, will say things. People will come to the office and say, like, there's nothing more important than, like, being thin. Right. And I'll right. ask them how they learned that. And like, I don't know. My mother goes to the gym every single day, but she never said anything about it. Right. She's never told me that. Okay. But what's the meta message? What's the meta message in watching? I'm growing up with the perfectionism around food and weight and body. So it just sinks in. And it's just liberating to have the clarity, like clarity of self. So liberation of like, right, okay, this happened to me. I'm safe now. Right. I could do this differently, you know? It's so liberating. Um, there was another example I thought of, but I can't remember what it was. It came to me. It came to me. A lot of times when I meet this crossroads of food, I send them out. I, I work with intuitive eating coaches. I very yeah. often yeah. do. Like there's something about doing, yeah, I often do. Cause I'll, I'll see it as a part and I'll use it with the part. But um, sometimes people, it seems like it's just, a, it's really like a gift to give people like full hour a week, just looking at the relationship with food and eating. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. Now, another self quality is connectedness. And I think another way that we kind of harm ourselves is not being able to connect the two parts at one time. Mm -hmm. So there might be one part that really wants to lose weight and be skinny. But there's another part that really wants to eat the cake. Mm -hmm. What I find a lot is people are not integrated. So when they come into the office, they can only connect the part of them that wants to lose the weight. Mm -hmm. They can't even connect the part of them that likes the food. For sure. It's fascinating. Right. So the ability to connect to both, that's what it is. It's holding both at the same time. Seeing both at the same time. Right. I guess that's where intuitive eating really like is helpful, like on the logical level of just explaining that like when you feel deprived and when you're not eating enough food will call your name so that's just more biologically you know people just miss that especially if like you said like um my number one belief system is like I must be thin right and I hear that yes. all the time all the time yes the beliefs I had a client that was also very overweight and she would tell me like I am not allowed to go to the smorgasbord Mm -hmm. If I go to the smorgasbord to get food, people are looking at me and saying, you don't deserve to go to the smorgasbord. Right. Deserve it. Yeah. Deserve. yeah. The belief system 
right. that people carry and have developed. Yeah. So for, it's so much, it's such a burden. I actually tell this to clients. I don't remember where I heard it. Maybe it was even Peggy Pollock, but I tell them that like adulthood is like thinking of a drawer of a drawer and all your belief systems are in that drawer. And like adulthood is like taking the contents of that drawer and like dumping it on the table. Like, oh, there's my belief. Yeah. There's my belief that I need to be thin in order to be worthy. And there's my belief that like, like I have to clean my house perfectly before Pesach. Otherwise I'm worth nothing or Yantif will be terrible. And like adulthood is like, what's serving me? Like, do I want exactly. to continue this belief? Exactly. And that's what we'd call those parts. There's right. the part that, no, 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 there's the part that, yeah, completely. Right. Yeah, right. it's very similar. Right. Yeah. This is so interesting. I, I, I'm I, so excited for clients to hear this because I like, I oh. obviously am not an expert, but I try to explain to them how it's helped me personally. And it's just like, it, it is like just going straight to that core thing that's yes. like making you feel so stuck. Yes. And if we can go to the core, we stop bashing the symptom. Right. You know, if we can go come from a place of compassion that there's, it's not, people think they're so shallow. That's also, I get a lot. I care about how I look. I can't believe it or not. It's so shallow. That's bashing again. Right. But people are really, it's so much, it's so much deeper than being shallow. It's so it has so much meaning, weight and body image and looks. It takes on so much meaning in our world mm-hmm. and we're up against the whole society. Right. Right. So forget your own personal beliefs that we're up. And, and I think being thin is like a power. And being thin is less vulnerable. So mm-hmm. I do that a lot. Also, the, the idea of being able to, you know, it's like women after a baby, having their baby weight. Why are people so ashamed of their baby weight? It's just, there's so much shame, right? you know, and so much vulnerability. And that's, again, these are parts that protect us. So if we could begin to be there for what, be there for the own, their exile, be there for that pain. If I could be there for that pain, then I can make peace with the stomach after birth. Right, because I don't need to protect myself and the world from seeing me less than perfect. What do I believe might happen? They'll reject me. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. Why do we all care so much? Because we don't want to get rejected. Right. But the irony is, nobody likes that skinny, tiny girl after baby. Not <laughs> breeding closeness. Let's call a spade a spade. Let's right. just call a spade a spade. That's interesting. So we I live in a lot of burden beliefs. We live in I, and, um, yeah. yeah. Well, just like the concept of like, uh, maybe I think maybe some religious people do struggle with this, like the concept of like, I, I talk about this a lot with my clients, I actually have it on my, on my website. It says like emotion gets us into motion. So like, mm, yes. like, like I, I have it, I write all over my wall, like things that like really like I want to remember. So I wrote like jealousy could be a roadmap. I think I read that in Lori Gottlieb's book or like, Love in that. The, yeah. And, and the book anti-diet, which is a book about intuitive eating. She talks about how like anger change changes the world like when we get angry we make change right so like oh, obviously we're not nice. allowed to be we're not allowed to be angry in the sense that we like rage at people and like kill exactly. them but there's a place for anger there's a place for jealousy and like it's just exactly. I don't know it's just like there's you know Brene Brown talks about like feelings and meta feelings so oh, like yes. we have this we're jealous but then we're also judging ourselves it's like it's just yes. so much like exactly. bur- like you exactly. said burden layers yeah like, yes Yes, one of the best things about this work I find is, is, is self. Right. Seeing everything from a place of self, compassion, and curiosity. I always say just switch it to curiosity. Right. Because our instant response is judge others or judge myself. Right. Look, go take, take, show, like test yourself. And you'll see. Something happens, we judge someone else or we judge ourselves. Right. Instantly. Right. So, can we be curious about others and about ourselves? Can we see pain beneath the part, pain beneath the extreme behavior? Can we see if there's pain there? Not in a patronizing way. 
I guess like even the judgment part, like I like, I like to tell this to clients also because my own therapist said this to me, like, like if you're like very anxious or you're like very judgmental, like she said, like, how does your anxiety serve you? Like, like even just from evolution, like, you know, we used to be, or like from a Jewish perspective, like we used to be like scouted out and killed for being Jewish. So we were always like, sort of like looking over our shoulders mm. or like just even, even maybe not even Jewish, just like if you didn't fit into like uh, the culture like people killed you or like they didn't give you food or didn't let you you know and it's like so yeah completely think about i'm agreeing judgment has to serve yeah right everything right. serves a purpose and 100 percent. yeah it makes us feel safe right I'm, yeah you're right but then yeah. the way that it like kills us the way that it like eats at us the way that it like tells us stories yeah. like exactly exactly what it becomes extreme everything in ifs we want all the parts to come to their naturally balanced places their naturally balanced states and they're naturally valuable states. So before the burdens, before the trauma, everyone's born with a certain makeup, a certain, you know, individual, you know, made up of individual qualities and traits and attributes. And then they get burdens by traumas and wounds and attachment injuries. So we could, could we bring them back to naturally valuable state? So we, you know, we always say anger when with self, anger that's healed might look like setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. But if a person doesn't know how to set boundaries, will just get angry. That's the only way to set boundaries. Right. I relate to that a lot. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's, uh, so I had some ideas before we started recording that when I was organizing my boys' room, I was totally flooded by overwhelm, but maybe that's, you know, organizing for Pesach. So um, that's something that came up for me. Then something else came up for me. Oh, I was actually thinking about it with like clients um, I don't know how personal I want to be on the on the podcast about client stuff, but like um, maybe like my insecurities, like am I doing this right? Am I a good dietitian? You know, like am I even helping them? That's a big one for sure that comes up. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget those were like the two. Did I say anything I, else? Sure. Um, what was the other one that you said you liked? Oh, the the performing the public um speaking. Oh, public speaking. Yeah, like, I have a lot of anxiety around that. Shocking, Gila. You do it so well. <laughs> this is not, I don't think this, anyone sees it. <laughs> well, this, I said this so many times, this is not public speaking to me because I'm oh. conversing. Oh, that's public, so cute. I this, hear you. This doesn't give me anxiety at all. I mean, it gives me like a tiny bit of anxiety just to like, you know, perk up and make sure like I'm alert, but it doesn't, I'm not like debilitated, wow. not able to sleep, you know? Okay, got it. Wow. Public speaking, you'd be debilitated and you couldn't sleep. I mean, I've worked on it a lot. I actually am trying to like not even say that. I feel like the more I say it, I like feed it. I've been trying that. Oh, is hard. that a part, Gila? That believe that she says something, she feeds it? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not even sure. Well, we could go, we could go to the public speaking. And sure, I, we, or we can go to the or we can go to the base cleaning with your boys' room and they're overwhelmed. Or we can go to the helping people. And these are all great parts. Really, we could try any. Is one thing speaking to you more? Because I'm happy so to go. I, if you want to do the way I do it, I, it's really just an invitation. Like I would just tell you, I don't know if you're a close your eyes type person or focus on a point, but a lot of the work is just really doing what we call a U-turn, which is just totally turning it back to yourself. Someone had a cute image. Like it's like the iPhone when you put the push the little button where the camera turns to you. Uh huh. The great cute. image of the U-turn. Yeah. Cute. So, you know, we say do a U-turn and we always say if it's intense, it's yours. So if something is intense for you, it's your stuff. So whenever we're touched, you know, something becomes very intense, very disproportionate to what's going on. It's touching us somewhere. Another quote we say is if it's hysterical, it's historical. 
something's making you hysterical. So it's, it's sitting on history. So I always invite my clients just to really take a minute, check in with your system, close your eyes if you need, just see what needs our attention right now. Right. Did you, did you, do you want to do that? I don't I'm going to close my eyes. Yeah. So it's, it's 1.13 and we have until what time are you done? What time do you have to get off? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty flexible. I thought okay. we were going to 8.30, but Israel time, but I'm flexible. If you want to go to 8.35, 8.40, yeah. you tell me. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I'll tell you. I'm just going to put a disclaimer here that maybe we'll, if like something gets too painful, I would just stop just because other people are watching. And uh, I'll of course. I'll yeah. Just in case um, people are watching and they want to see more, I'll just explain that. Yeah. And I wanted to say that this is a perfect already representing talking for parts. We say talking for parts and not from parts. So you just spoke for a part. And that's amazing. You're speaking for a part that is not going to get too personal, too painful right now. And I want to speak for my parts that anyway, wouldn't want to take you to, a, to a, much of a painful personal space right now. Right. So all the, all the listeners should know that we're not doing anything too deep or too real. For yes. that, you'll have to go to your own therapy. <laughs> yes. And I, cause, because I did take on like a, a false, per, what's, what's the word? Like a, another person to do like other podcasts to pretend like I was someone else, like a different identity, just to sort of show clients how it kind of works. Obviously this is not in, you know, in place of therapy or can be used in place of therapy just for people to watch it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, totally. And I, and I could just say that I specifically requested that we do a real, we do you for real. Cause I don't think IFS could be done in a fake way. Right. So I'd rather go very little and just stay in protector mode in an authentic, genuine way. Okay, cool. Okay. So, um, I wrote down a few ideas. Wait, what did I write down? Okay, so I think that the, I guess what's coming up for me is that the Pesach cleaning, I feel like it's such a huge one for people. So it would be helpful. The public speaking thing is a huge one for me. It will be very helpful for me. And the client stuff is very helpful, but maybe like a little too personal for my listeners, you know? Totally. Okay. So I guess what would, what speaks to me the most is the public speaking. Okay. So parts are trying to evaluate what's the best thing to do right now. And one part's kind of saying, well, that would be best for listeners because most people here are dealing with Pesach cleaning. Right. But another right. part's saying, no, Gila, do what's good for you. Like, right. You need right. public speaking. Another part's right. saying, don't do the, you know, the therapy because that's really too personal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just check in with the parts. Yeah. How do you want to respond? So just to be completely honest, I guess when you said that, like, this is better for me than listeners, I felt like a little selfish, but then I also felt, I just, totally. felt like, wow, I really worked on my self-care that I'm able to be like, quote unquote, like take care of myself. So I was feeling like uh, both of those things actually. Yeah. That's amazing. Cause I feel like, so one part came and kind of criticized and negatively labeled and shamed. And I own my parts and my part said it in a way that did sound selfish. But you had parts that then named that part. And one part said, well, Gila, that was a little selfish. But I think another part, which I, I think was more self actually, said, no, you know what? Maybe you worked on self-care. Maybe you actually have parts that really know how to take care of Gila now. And maybe that was the part that spoke up. That's how I heard it, by the way, mm -hmm. that a part was saying what I need. But it sounds like you have voices that maybe have called you selfish or don't want you to be selfish. And therefore those popped up. But you very quickly moved, I think, to self-energy, which is clarity. And said, no, I think that was a part that was saying, like, Eli, you also could do some self-care. So it was just interesting. Everything could be used as a model of parts. So I just hope it's okay that I'm stopping at every moment. Yes. And yes. I actually, yeah, I really appreciate that. And I actually think it's really cool for clients to see because I'm such an advocate of like self-care and like 
not being selfish, but putting your, your needs first and taking advantage of things that come your way. So like, I feel proud to show that, you know? Yes, totally. I think I all from Jewish women have this constant battle, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How much to care for ourselves and how much others, and a lot of it sits on guilt. Because mm-hmm. if I care for myself, then I have to deal with guilt. Right. If I care for others, I have to deal with resentment. Right. So pick your pain, right. <laughs> essentially. Right. Yeah. So just check in. Okay. And just kind of see what would feel right now, what needs our attention. With all that being said, like really what, what needs our attention right now? I guess like the public speaking thing is a lot of shame that that I still feel so anxious about it after all these years and a lot of uh, I guess anger that it's not it, that it hasn't come like that I can't tell myself like Gilly you're amazing like everyone loves you like they wouldn't pay you if they didn't and that, that like breeds a lot of pain yeah yeah okay good so as you're beginning to see that maybe the public side let me just get this right. that as you're beginning to see that maybe the public speaking is what is sitting on you a part comes and says I can't believe we're not over this yet Gila like for so many years you're still here and that sounds like a little bit of a critical voice would that have been a shaming voice you said a shame mm-hmm. and another part says but people aren't going to pay you and ask you to come if they didn't like you right so there's a voice that's angry like why can't you get that right. did I get that uh uh the voice that's angry is like why can't you um, it's, I guess it might be two things, but it's angry. Like, why can't you just like be a natural public speaker? Like that would be so much easier. I don't know if I'm blaming myself or like God, you know, in that way. (laughs) There's a part that said, just said to you, Gila, why can't you just be a natural public speaker? That would be so much easier. Right. I don't feel like I'm saying it to myself. I feel like I am sort of like angry at Hashem, like, like, why can't you just make this easier? Like I've tried and tried and tried and tried and like Davins and did a lot of hishtadlas. Like, why do I have to be somebody who's so afraid of something that's so not only important for my business and for my, for my brands, but I really enjoy spreading like the way that you enjoy giving your groups. And you feel like, I remember at the end, you said like, I love seeing people being so vulnerable and that connection, like I, that speaks to me too. So when you public speak, you get that, you get to connect with so many people. It's like something I really value and wish I just, you didn't have like this block to totally so you have parts that are really like a really angry even at god right that he's not shaking this block like make it go away ready this is not fair right like i don't want this this is not fair i want to be an actual public speaker and take it away i've dabbing for it and it's enough right is that kind of what the part's saying yeah but even like even as you say that i'm just like wow like i really um i really have been trying to accept myself like i really can't accept like everyone has you know exactly. pros- everyone has pros I've done a lot of this work but like everyone has natural pros and cons like my husband's a very natural public speaker he's excellent at it oh wow yeah and (laughs) and right and I've heard like you know how you just said like wow we would never be able to tell and and I've worked on other things of like more like conversational public speaking like Gila like you're doing like you're working through it you're working through it but then there's like that that's still angry part that's like, no, but it's not good enough. Like it should be better. Yes. Ah, so it's not good enough voice also. 
Because like you didn't say you can't do it. You said you want to be natural. Right. Not good enough to do it and be good. Like you want to be naturally good at it. Right. So it's a really not good enough voice as well that comes in. Right. So we're, we're really seeing this is such a beautiful example of like, this is not just about the part. Look how many voices you have towards the part. Right. Till we even can look at the part and invite it in. Like it's just a third box on our screen. There's so many other parts that are here to talk to the part. So many, like, it's like a garlic clove, really is like a garlic clove parts in all of our parts um, that, and it gets us very cluttered. So I always think it's helpful just to slowly sift out, slow it down, get to know each one in its own right, in its own way. It calms the system. So this is perfect. So tell us more of what's coming up. Um, what's coming up? Yeah, that that's always tricky. Like the the cluttered the cluttered thinking, where it's like this thought, then this thought, then this thought. That that's like maybe some anxiety. But um, I'm trying to think. Like it's probably hard for me to do this on camera. Like completely. Of course. And Speak for that part. Speak yeah. for that part. Speak for like, that part. Go ahead. What is that? Part yeah, saying? like I feel like I I feel like I've. I've come to peace with a lot of the things that I even articulated, like maybe not. And I just don't want to like start crying on camera, which I don't mind crying. Just, <laughs> I just, I just don't like, I don't need to be like that vulnerable on my podcast. Not because I have any issues with being vulnerable, just because I am a boundary person. I don't like have to show everyone my everything. Right. Um, totally. Yes. Totally. Yeah. You're, so maybe you're, there's you're like, very vulnerable. Right. Maybe there's like a resistance. Like I don't want to get too deep into like the not enoughness is so painful, you know, or totally the, for all of us. Yeah. Or like the, because I'm such a naturally like self-aware, like analytical person that it's like, okay, enough already. Like how much could you, you know, work on a part before you're just like, yeah, I'm not such a good public speaker. I do it anyways. And it's all good. Even though, like, right. so it's hard, hard to tell you're not a good public speaker, though. We, we, not, we don't know you are or you're not, but there are parts that tell, tell you that, that you're not a good public I'm speaker. Not sure. you're not I'm not sure. Oh, well, like, that I don't, you know, oh, well, I, I'm sure, like, some people who don't seem nervous are nervous, but you know, those people who are just like, yeah, I'm not nervous at all. Like, totally fuels me. It's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you don't even know how right. lucky you are, you know? Right. And, you know, we don't know what parts say to them after. Right. We have no idea. We really don't know. People are so complex. We really right. don't know. Right. You know, what goes into the wiring, what goes into the showing up? We, we just don't know. Right. Um, you know, but um, but I want to really just respect and just make it very present. The part that is very noticing of the fact that we're in a public forum. Right. This is your podcast. You are super courageous and vulnerable. And it makes sense that you have your limits. That's right. why you're a respected person. If you got up here and just started telling your whole life, I think it would be. Although funny, right. I mean, I don't know what goes on, on social media. I'm really not so familiar, but seems like you do a great job of really being vulnerable enough that you're so real, but also having that boundary, just like your intuitive eating. It's right. very aligned right. with intuitive eating, you know, like it is. What do they say? There's no bad foods. There's no bad foods, right? That's interesting. Too many cucumbers, right? That's the same idea. It's like everything it's needs a boundary. Oh, it's interesting that you're comparing it to intuitive eating. I have to, I, that I, I have to think about also. I see so many parallels with intuitive eating and so many other things in my life, for sure. Even when you said it's not fair, I was thinking about all the obese clients. It's so unfair. It's right. so unfair. Maybe it's their gene pool. Right. What is God thinking? And right. I'm sure they dive in their hearts out. That should go away. Right. I, know right. I see that. 
Right. I mean, we do believe that in intuitive eating and health at every size, that like the behavior modification, it's only a small percentage of what affects your weight. So yeah, like even the fact that society calls it like obesity, like a disease, like, yeah, that is terrible. Of course, people feel terrible about themselves. They've been conditioned to believe that. So totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I guess, I guess, well, now what's coming up for me is just like, I feel good about myself that I like have boundaries. <laughs> Cause like you said, yeah. you're not like such a social media person, but like, that's, that's a tricky balance too. Like how much you share and how much you don't share. I do like to share like authentically, but also that doesn't mean I share everything, you know? Completely. And I think a lot of it, and this is very IFS is agenda. What's the agenda here? And when I'm sharing this, why am I sharing this? You right. know, Detroit says, wait. W-A-I-T, why am I talking? Oh. And I think we really have, a, as, as humans, we just have agendas. Like, am I saying this because I want to, you know, I know I have parts from years and years ago and I love Brene Brown that were, were very vulnerable and very self-deprecating. And I would like just meet anyone and be like, my parents divorced, nah, 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 like, which I know now is, you know, it wasn't a big thing then, but it's a big thing when you enter a world and you have kids, like, just very <laughs> self-deprecating and just easy sharing and always just something negative. And I was, when I looked at that part, I was like, why do I do that? And I think I did that to connect. I think that was a real way for me to connect because vulnerability mirrors vulnerability. Interesting. So if I put it out first, then they'll mirror it and then we'll connect. And there was like this deep need to connect. Then I won't be lonely, right? Mm-hmm. If I connect. And I think I had to really learn that vulnerability is a gift and doesn't go to everybody. Right. And I don't need to connect to everybody. And I could, and either I will be lonely and I could be there for my loneliness or I won't be lonely. But I'd rather live in the real pain than in pain prevention. And those are our two choices, two tracks, pain prevention, preventing myself from all sorts of pain or being in pain. And I've been able to contend with loneliness as opposed to being self-deprecating and oversharing or having no boundaries and then coming home and feeling so much regret. Right. And it was a right. fighter as opposed to just sharing when it's the right time. There are many times that I have the decision that now I wanna share, it's meaningful, I trust this person and I wanna gift them with my vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And then there are times that it's not, and it's not like a vulnerable at all costs, you know? So it's something I've thought about a lot. So I really do respect and value what you're saying. I really wouldn't, I, my parts wouldn't feel comfortable pushing you, I wouldn't. Right. And in, in general, cause I run my groups and people are very brave, very, very brave. And I always say, I have a lot of respect because no matter how deep you go, you don't need to share the details because so much is your own internal work. It's you and yourself. And I don't need to know anything. I could, if you want me to hear it, I'm happy to witness, but I don't need to know the story. You need to know the story. You know, so it's a very respectful model, but at the same time, it reminds me of how you started about the self-care. That's a boundary also. When you said, I, maybe I want to do the public speaking. Is it selfish? No, it's really a way to care for myself. That's a boundary I'm setting also, you know? Right. Wow. Wow. You just said so many like amazing things that I just like have so many, (laughs) I have so many things to say back to that, um, that were coming to me while you were talking. Um, what's interesting about the vulnerability piece? I can't remember now. Maybe I'm just like totally overwhelmed by what you said. Yeah. I probably flooded you with too much information. No, you didn't. (laughs) Everything you said really resonated. No, I'm serious. Everything you said really resonated with me because like the, when you say like that you were vulnerable in a way that was like oversharing, right. You feel like, what do they call it? Like oversharing hangover or something. You're just like, yeah, a shame hangover. Uh, Brene Brown. Right. Right. I had a ton ton of shame hangovers. Why? Yeah. I still have them. 
I right. still have them. I had, I had one recently, actually. Right. But right. I know the part comes because I, first of all, I, I, there's a quote I heard like 15 years ago that I love. We mask ourselves and imprison each other. We mask ourselves. We all just hide. And then we imprison the other one because we're all hiding. So it makes someone else hide. And I feel like I, it's, it's a lonely world. Right. So I like had this agenda right. to just be the vulnerable one. But anything that's extreme is too much and it's coming from burdens. So right. it's really about balance. It's really about balance. That's the thing. If you know, we can find connection with balance. Right. Well, actually what you said about weight, W-A-I-T, I was, what, I, what came to mind for me is like what I ask clients to do a lot is like when they have an urge to eat and they know they're not physically hungry is to like set a timer for a few minutes just to wait. Love and that. it doesn't mean you can't eat after the timer's up. It's not, I'm not like restricting you. It's just to really, like you said, what this is what we're really um, got me was that like when you said I could sit in my loneliness, right? Like I could feel the pain of my loneliness. Yes. Maybe what I, what I see a lot with my clients or just in general is that like, we don't have pain, not that we don't have pain tolerance. I don't want to say that because I feel like that's even shameful, but just that we don't know that it's okay to feel like lonely. It's okay to feel Yes. Rejected. Like we could, we can feel that way, even though they're really strong, heavy emotions, like they do go away. Like they do, yes. you know, move through yes. us. Let them. Completely. And I want to add to that, that I think that comes from as a child, when we don't have the right attachment figure, someone that was really there to hold that pain for us. And if you have it, it's the biggest blessing on earth, but many people don't, right. not because parents are bad. Right. at all because parents have their own parts and their own burdens and they're just right. doing the best they can like all of us but if you didn't have that attachment figure there to hold you and hold your pain and sit in your pain how would you learn that pain's okay right and as children we don't know what else to do so we create again to parts and behaviors to avoid the pain but we never pause and say wait a minute i'm 41 now i could be there for that young girl i could reparent her and that's so much of the model that I, it's okay if she gets rejected. Right. I got your back. The right. same way we would talk to our children. Cutie, if you go to school today and you get bullied, you'll come home, mommy's here for you. Right. right? And that's the same thing we could do with our, our parts. So yes, when I finally learned, like, it's okay to feel lonely. It's okay. Because I got this. I don't need to avoid it. I got this. So yes, I'm agreeing with you. We don't realize that we can. I think your pain tolerance is a great way to say it. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think we realize it. And I think the other thing you said about, yes, radical acceptance that I always tell people feelings are not dangerous. They're just visitors. If you love what's in your way, it will transform. If you sit with it long enough, it will go away. It's an amazing thing. Right. Just let it be, let it be. Yeah. So I'm agreeing. Totally. That's a hard, that's a really hard thing to learn. Like I'm 31. And I would say like when I started doing this work, I don't know, five years ago or whatever, or just, I told you my mother passed away three and a half years ago, like just like letting yourself I mean, everyone, everyone has opinions about grief, but just like, I guess I learned that one of the most powerful things I learned about pain was that like, I could feel, I could feel a lot of pain and I could be okay. Totally. Totally. You really know it. Yeah. You really know it. Yeah. You really know it. Totally. Totally. And grief is such a big part of the work. It's not always grief from really a loss, right. a loss, a real physical loss of loved one, but we have to grieve so much loss. Right. Right. You know, I, I mean, I have clients that are real orphans and I have clients that are emotional orphans. Well, yeah. You know, and it's grief, grief in marriage, things you don't get in the marriage that you want, things that you don't get in the kids that you want. Right. Things that you don't get in the body that you want. 
I that's a big thing. I, I interviewed somebody on the podcast. Her name is um, Brie, and she talks about this concept of uh, body grief, and it's like so powerful. Wow. You know, for people who have been told their whole life, like if you just even like, you know, just diet, okay, fine, just have the surgery, just like one day you will be thin, and they're just grieving that, or they're wow. in the years that they lost of hold, like holding that belief system that like life will be better if I was thin, you know? Yes, totally. Totally. Yeah. I love your work, Eli. I think I, I've read up in the intuitive eating. I, I love, love intuitive. I, I'm telling you, I send all my clients intuitive eating. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I love intuitive eating. I think it is the most brilliant balanced way to approach food. I really, really right. do. Right. I mean, I really like IFS. <laughs> I definitely They're try so to... hand in yeah. hand. They're right. so hand in hand. Right. I try to tell clients about it. Like I'm definitely not trained in it, but like, I definitely try to tell them like there are different ways to approach, you know, like when like that comes up a lot when you have an urge to eat and you're not physically hungry so first I teach them a lot about like biological hunger and fullness but then like mm. now once you identify it so now what why am I eating you know why am I still eating so it's just really powerful and that's why I always say like this work is so much yes. just so much not about the food and so much about healing in general totally totally exactly 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 Wow. So this was amazing. Thank you so much. Are you taking new clients now? Thank you so much. I'm doing new groups. New groups. Okay, right. You're running a new group. I posted it on my Instagram. Yeah, you're running a new group. And, you know, the practice is always evolving, but not, not this exact moment, but, but, but I'm always really running groups and I, it's really my passion. And I, I just, I love it so much. And I love teaching people how to use this model, late people and even professionals. So we take people as far as we go. And not to use as a professional model, just to use it on yourself, right. just to be able to do it on oneself. Um, you know, I do a lot of mentors and teachers and college teachers. It's just a way to see the world and see yourself. So um, that's my passion right now, obviously okay. with the practice, but, um, but yeah. So you're not taking private clients, but you take um, people who want to learn exact in time. Maybe okay. the, but people should reach out. People should reach out. Summer. Yeah, for sure. For if they want to join a group or start a group or yeah definitely I would love love I love meeting people and I would love it I love it okay so yeah. how do people reach you oh um do you want to do you want to put um my whatsapp so do you want to say say the number and then I'll write it I'll in say the number now okay three four seven okay two five five three five one four okay so my whatsapp to you on whatsapp and i will put that in the show notes and if anyone wants to learn about ifs or Thank work you. with you eventually yeah that's what i so much fun gila i wouldn't end i have a client the hour <laughs> flew by yeah this was, was the fastest hour wow this was so really much fun to talk to you i really like talking to you i loved your group i love your energy <laughs> i love and talking to you it was really great it's really so, so much fun it's such a cute thing i just it's so new to me so right. i'm just like <laughs> you did great you did amazing Thank you, Gila. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, have a great night. Okay, have a good day. Bye, okay, everyone. Bye. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.